0: a will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, before the interview, I just wanted to share a few things. Um, Dr. Rachel Harris, and we'll be talking about ayahuasca again today, as will Martina and Savita next week, and then that will be the end of my ayahuasca series. I just wanted to say that I am certainly not a proponent of talking people into or suggesting that they do ayahuasca. It is a very, very serious journey, um, but I find the healing the healing that is possible um, for some is just, it's just amazing. However, there are many different ways in the, um, in the healing process and the way people can heal. So with that said, here we go. Today, I am honored to have Rachel Harris on the show Psychologist Rachel Harris is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. She was in private practice for 35 years working with people interested in psychospiritual development. During a decade working in research, Rachel received a National Institutes of Health New Investigators Award and published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals. She has also consulted to Fortune 500 companies and the United Nations. In 2005, Rachel traveled to a retreat center in Costa Rica and serendipitously dippidously found herself with the opportunity to drink ayahuasca with Ecuadorian shamans. The morning after her first ceremony, Rachel began asking questions about the therapeutic potential of this medicine. She conducted a three-year research uh, project with Lee Gorel that resulted in a study of ayahuasca use in North America. Published in the Journal of Psychoactive Drugs in the summer of 2012. Welcome to the program, Rachel. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you. And as you know, I've um, interviewed Dr. Tefer, Joe, a few times, and I know that you guys are are good friends. And as we were talking about in our pre-conversation, I just I just love watching the two two of you together. I just have to sit and smile the whole time because you um, you know he has the medical. Medical part of it, and that you 're coming as a psychologist and it 's just um, just kind of brings brings this magic together, so for my listeners, um, Dr. Joe Taffer is in this series, and so please go back and listen to his interviews if you have not if you have not yet so Rachel, today I, I want to talk to you about um, your work with ayahuasca. And I want to talk about the mystery of this of this mystical brew today because I I just find it so fascinating. But before, even though Joe talked about it, could you just briefly explain to our listeners what what
1: ayahuasca is? Well, it's it is a brew. It's a combination of two plants that's used in indigenous villages as a medicine. Indigenous villages in, in throughout South America and it is used all as an all-around medicine i mean uh it's it's the the shaman is the doctor it's the health clinic so when people Mm -hmm. are sick or out of sorts or having problems or want to change their lives so this covers medical psychological superstitious areas it's really all kinds of healing and they will sit with the shaman and and you know what's really interesting to me is in in some indigenous villages, only the shaman drinks. The people who come as patients don't always drink. Then so, I'm you know I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not sure which um, indigenous tribes that's true for, but it works right. in that way as well. And so it's used in a lot of different ways. I mean in in, in indigenous. Um, communities it's used uh to reveal where the animals are for hunting purposes and it's used to you know identify if your partner is cheating on you or to <laughs> attract someone that you've fallen in love with from afar so it's you know the indigenous use covers a lot of magic and 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 other kinds of things but um uh, my research and my focus has been on how our westerners what are Westerners seeking from this medicine? How are North American people using it in North America? So the Mm -hmm. research study I did, uh, the criteria was I was um, collecting data and interviewing North American people. And the only criteria was that they had um, been to one ayahuasca ceremony in North America. And that's how, you know, this is a psychological study. It's not an anthropological one. And, and so the the medicine, and I'm sure Joe talked about this in botanical, biochemical terms, is it does open up, the, uh, the two plants together make the dimethyltryptamine available um, to, to enter the brain. And so that's the psychedelic. So people do have psychedelic experiences they see lights they see different images often they they actually see visions um from childhood i mean like watching a movie um literally and uh, even sometimes they see things that they didn't know about they get they have access to information instead of knowing where the animals are to hunt there was one woman who received information that her who she knew as her mother was really her sister wow the things like you know things like that the, yeah. so you, so people get family secrets
0: right interesting yeah. and how how did you get involved in this
1: well you know I also went to a retreat center in Costa Rica but I went um uh in complete ignorance you you actually knew what you were doing <laughs> in, <laughs> well in about, sort of in about, <laughs> 2005. I was living in Princeton, New Jersey, um, and uh, I wanted a tropical. It was February. I wanted to go to the beach, so a friend of mine had told me about this beautiful retreat center between the ocean and the jungle, and I thought that sounded great. And I, I know I looked at the uh, program, but I didn't recognize the people. I didn't pay attention to it. I figured I'll just skip out and go to the beach. <laughs> right. So a day before I'm leaving for Costa Rica, I get a phone call and the woman asks me, you know, that she's setting up the logistics and she says, well, are you, do you, should I sign you up for the ceremonies? And I brilliantly said, what ceremonies? I mean, I had no clue. Right. So she told me, I actually had a book by Ralph, um, Ralph Metzner. So I had his book because I had bought it for the cover, never opened it. And it was one of his books. It was a collection of therapists talking about their ayahuasca experience. So wow. I read that that evening. And the next day I called this woman back who was doing the logistics and I said, sign me up. <laughs> so wow! Then, that's how I fell into it. So it was, it came at a time when my daughter was finishing graduate school. I was no longer a householder. She was mm-hmm. more, in, you know, certainly far more independent. and. And really what I was doing was picking up my old life from the the late 1960s when I was living at Esalen Institute in California, and drugs were a part of that lifestyle there. And so I was sort of reverting back to basics for me, and so I just fell into this. So was I called? I don't know. It was certainly very serendipitous, but it was not... It, it was um, not one of these very conscious callings. I mean, I've talked, I, I've spent this last decade and a half interviewing people. So I've heard of a lot of stories of people saying, oh, I've had dreams of grandmother ayahuasca. She's calling me. You know, I feel like the time is right. I had none of that. I just fell right. into it. And yeah. to make it even funnier, the people I didn't recognize, Jeremy Narby was, was giving lectures that week. Wow! I didn't, I didn't even <laughs> look them up. Right. right. I didn't didn't look them up. Yeah. So that's how I fell into it. And then I had, and this is often true for people that their first experience, their first ceremony is the most mind blowing and it kind of bonds them in a way to the medicine. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened for me. It was such an amazing experience that the next morning I started asking all the Western psychological questions how does this work? What what does this mean? How how you know how is this? How did I get such a tailored experience, perfect for what I needed?
0: And, right. So
1: you know, the the South American shaman don't not even understand these questions. They don't know how to respond to this Western mm-hmm. woman. It's these are crazy questions for them.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's what started me searching, and then ultimately wanting to know well what. What happened to others? But the, the clinical question that I've asked all along is any good therapist would is well what happens after?
0: Exactly, I How had read that in your research that a, a woman um, shaman just quietly said, "Why don't you ask the shamans? You know what what kind of relation, lifelong relationship they have with ayahuasca?" I love I love that. So what so what have you found?
1: Well, that's what was so interesting. I asked, do you have an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca? And three quarters of the respondents, and I had a good number in the group, there were there were um, 81 people completed the a 16 page wow. questionnaire. It took them hours. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I had like 30 essay questions and people answered them and then wrote me notes. People really wanted to talk about their experience. Yes. And three-quarters of the people had their own relationship with Grandmother Ayahuasca, who they could connect with in meditation, in dreams, um, just in daily life, just sort of focusing. They would sort of just tune into her. And I, I very egotistically thought, oh, she's only talking to me. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> <laughs> and she told me go and do the research and I thought, okay, I'll go do the research. i I can do that. Turns out everyone's talking to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and well, so she's this wonderful therapeutic presence in people's lives. Right.
0: And when you say grandmother ayahuasca, why why do they why is that term used? Well
1: that might be, you know, that's it's a there's a range of terms for this medicine and for the spirit of the plant. And so I think there's one uh, one village or, or one tribe that, that talks that, that it's grandfather ayahuasca. But mm-hmm. so that's even, that's a very different image. And so grandmother ayahuasca may be um, what Westerners call her. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. in, in the indigenous cultures, she's a master teacher. This is the spirit of the plant, and this is one of the master teachers. Tobacco is also, and that's generally considered to be masculine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, it's an anthropological question I don't really know how to answer, but certainly the Westerners refer to her this way, and consider her a very, generally, a very caring, nurturing spirit even when she's harsh and direct and confrontational. So one of my examples is this young 20-something guy said, oh, yeah, I've heard from Grandmother Ayahuasca. And I said, well, what, you know, what's the message? And he, he said, she told me to go home and clean up my room and get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why she's called Grandmother. I mean, it's kind of yes. direct. And, yes. and then people have very different relationships with her for many people. I mean, this one woman, a young woman who had suffered, had a difficult childhood growing up experience and didn't have a very healthy sense of, a positive sense of herself. She suffered with low self-esteem and uh, grandmother, she just experienced such great love and acceptance Mm
0: -hmm. from grandmother
1: ayahuasca that she began to heal that low self-esteem. So for her, it was like a, a uh, an attachment relationship. As this was the good mother she'd never had. And she actually began to feel better about herself, make different decisions in life and and it was a, a healing relationship. Right. And a whole different example was one one young man was um his message was, you know, stop Stop running around partying and using Coke. <laughs> it was kind of a practical, helpful bit of Yes, yes. And he felt so guilty because he didn't follow the advice. And he had a wild summer. And I talked to him, you know, after that summer. And he said, well, of, co- of course she was right. But I didn't do it. And I felt so guilty. And I said to him, this was a leap, but I took it anyway. And I said to him, well... And did did you go to Catholic school? <laughs> oh yeah, twelve years, you of know. She did. Years. I said, well, you know, that guilt is is part of your education. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. right.
1: And so very. that's a very different relationship then with Grandmother Ayahuasca. So you get a sense of how you know, is, and so my question is always, well, is this real? Is this ontologically real? Is this, you know, are we really talking to a plant teacher? Or is this a projection? And of course, there's no scientific concrete answer to that. So I suffer with that a little bit, but there is no question in my mind that this is for most people, even given the guilt, it's a therapeutic relationship and it's healing and it can heal attachment disorders from childhood.
0: Right, right. I remember Dr. Taffer saying, talking about the science and Obviously, science has a very vital role in in you know what we do and what we prove and and Western civilization. But he said, you know, people want to study it and then study again and do a blind study. He said, you know, that's great, but it takes so long. And this stuff kind of the proof is in the pudding, if you will. You know, I mean, we see this over and over. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about sit the ceremony because the importance I know my experience that's what when I I guess my relationship is even with the actual ceremony I mean I can close my eyes and hear the music and and hear the shamans chanting or singing and the smoke and that you know what they did when I was not feeling well and just the beautiful support and energy of the whole ceremony and and it's a such it's a vital part i mean it's a must part of the actual ceremony so can you speak on that a little bit
1: well you know people always ask me you know how do i know what's a legitimate where to go safe what's really authentic and i've said things like well you know one there are kind of two variables i look at one is have you been Has someone, have you been interviewed before you're accepted into the ceremony? Has someone asked you serious questions about your health history and any medications you're on and that sort of thing, because that's for your health and not everybody does that. And if they don't do it, don't go. And then the other one is ask about the music. Does somebody Mm -hmm. sing? How is the music handled? Or is it a CD? You know, what, what is, what's the music situation? And I say, if it's a CD, don't go. You want the someone with the capacity to sing that's part of the healing right and so if you don't have that if you're just listening to a cd or a r- recorded you're missing that act of healing and so that's that's a key element of the ceremony then of course i interviewed someone who went to a ceremony he said, "Oh yeah, it was a great ceremony. They played great music." And I said, "Well, tell me about the Well, they had this great CD of lots of songs." Oh, no. And then he told me how important the experience was to him, and I thought, "Well, you know, this medicine works. That's just the bottom line it works." Right. But my my personal preference would be to to check out those two variables about the, the medical intake, the health questions, and then what's the what's the story with the music, and especially right. the Shapipo, tradition the Mm -hmm. music is is as important
0: as the medicine it is the healing yes it was to where i went yeah and i know that they would even say and and joe said this you know sometimes you know we don't tell people they have to drink the medicine just be there and some people when i was um at the retreat they also had holotropic breath work and i had a really amazing experience you know just doing the breath work
1: and of course that's a western you know it's a western yes true which we've done to vipassana meditation now in every strip mall you can have yoga and (laughs) so we do it you know our culture blends with everything so yeah this is happening also
0: right and you talk a little bit about how it's actually been shown how it can create new pathways, neural pathways. Maybe we're getting a little bit too much into the, into the medicine now, but I know that um, you, well, Joe had talked about his experience with people who had come, um, gone through, he had gone through a ceremony with And he said, you know, you see them turn into like a child. The joy is like so childlike. And that really the only way you can can have that sort of joy is through the heart and through, you know, your feelings. And I found that so profound because as, as he talked about, and I'm sure you agree, is that Love and feelings are not something that we talk about a whole lot in in Western medicine or well in psychology. I guess you talk about feelings a lot, but I just found it found that really profound.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting how this medicine does things that. And I, well, let me just talk about the the neurological for a minute because that's sure, incredibly yes. fascinating. And then I'll talk. Yes. About- what we don't usually talk about um (laughs) but we should this is a very big deal that um all the psychedelics do this including ayahuasca is they quiet the default mode network yes and that is our habitual way of um supporting our sense of who we are Um, our ego the way our defense structures are organized It's support. These are habitual neural pathways that feel like me. This is who I am. This is how I operate. This is my way of being in the world. And for most of us, well, for all of us, really, they get established in the first couple years of life. Yes. And that's mostly about survival. How do I survive this life, this family I'm born into, this situation, whatever it is? And so, uh, these are our defense mechanisms, all geared toward how to my own ego survival. Just the way I am, I'm going to stay the same. <laughs> this right. is not, not changing. And,
0: and sometimes you you said also that as you get older, it almost turns into a prison.
1: I know. I have got this great cartoon, and and it's not it's not from a scientist. It's a cartoon, you know, of like a Pfeiffer cartoon of a head. And then inside the, the head is a like a jail cell with a within the person inside his own jail cell.
0: And oh my gosh.
1: You know, we uh, you know we create our defense structure mm-hmm. to ensure our survival, and then it limits us and does become something of a prison. And so the reason why, you know, people become sort of open and childlike and and more carefree and joyous with, with after a ceremony is because these this habitual way of being in the world is loosened. And that's literally that there are new pathways available, new connections made in the brain, new neural pathways I'm talking about, new connections made in the brain, and even neurogenesis, new nerve cells develop. So it's a chance to reprogram. And people talk about resetting reprogramming yes you know there are a lot of colloquial terms for this and so people sort of understood that oh gee this is giving me a chance to recreate myself knowing what i know now um with uh, with some great bigger perspective than a two-year-old just automatically protecting himself so it's a it's a chance to open up more inner freedom and see things differently and that That seeing things differently cannot be underestimated. It's a shift in perspective that allows for greater possibilities, more creative solutions to our problems, to whatever it is we face in our inner world as well as the outer world. It opens up greater possibilities. And this is what therapy is all about.
0: Right. I know you talk about it. It, it doesn't take away, you know, the things that have happened in your life, but what it does, it creates distance, distance from that traumatic event, distance from your personality and your ego, so you can, like you just said, look at things differently and
1: and be happier. It sounds simple, but it is a major therapeutic right. shift. And and the way it sometimes happens with um, trauma, for instance, is some people uh, will be able to uh, watch a traumatic reenactment of something that they experienced as a child. But now they have the distance because they're watching it as if it's on a screen. Right. And they're watching themselves as a child. They're watching the perpetrator. Whatever the perpetrators, they're watching the whole thing unfold, but with this distance. And so they're able to have often compassion for that little child themselves that they never had before. Sometimes even compassion for the perpetrator, understanding that the perpetrator may have been abused as a child. So it opens up a much broader way of looking at things. And that in itself changes everything and allows for the. traumatic memory to be metabolized in a different way in the person's history and held in their sense of their own life story in a different way. Right.
0: Yeah. When I went on my retreat, there was a gentleman there and he had been abused as a child and he had a fear and he didn't know it. And he had had a long history of drug abuse and, you know, just, just was going off the rails and he had discovered what was going on. And like you just said, he not only forgave himself, he forgave his father and he saw that it had been in the lineage and his whole life just turned around. He stopped, you know, it it just totally turned around. It was really beautiful. Um, Something else that really touched me was, I think it's, it was specific for this retreat center, but I think it could be um, just, something that all people could think about when going through this it was three steps and the first step was who have i become and it's exactly what you're talking about from that childlike, you know from the source what happened to me who have i become and they even suggested which i thought was brilliant to get a picture of yourself when you're like two or three years old and put it like on your screenshot and just have it there to check in with once in a while i mean (laughs) I get teary eyed just even thinking about that, you know, but um, so that was the first part. And of course, that was, that's when a lot of the purging takes place and, and getting getting rid of that. And then it's reemerge with your soul. So going back to the source, and the third one was heal your heart. And I just loved those, um, those three steps, because they just made, they just made a lot of sense to me. And I know you've talked about how the shamans say it's a, it's a cleansing they talk about it as being a cleansing of the heart
1: right right and and a cleansing of the whole body and yes and yes. turning the all the levels of the system physical and energetic to a a, a greater balance right there's there's um this clearly is heart medicine and the, and there really is a transformation through the heart. And I don't mean the cardiac heart. Yes. Heart center, the energetic center that is the heart. And, uh, I, I think ultimately this medicine is about love. And Absolutely. So how does, how, uh, how, how is the heart center transformed to, to be able to be, Um, more open to feeling love, to being love, to expressing love. I mean, ultimately, what's what's more important? And so uh, a lot of the clearing has to do with clearing and polishing the heart. Right, right. And this is a core of many of the contemplative uh, religious disciplines.
0: Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I've interviewed a lot of people who've had near-death experiences, and that's what they come back talking about is it's all about love. And as it's so funny, why is it so hard for Western civilization to wrap their arms around that and not think it's kind of hokey? That's so, so sad because it's so it's the most important thing of all.
1: Well, we're you know, we're very we have very strong roots in scientific materialism. <laughs> and if you can't measure it and you know, pretty Yes, yes and, we... So this is where it gets into some of the mystery. But the work on the heart is um it's it's a part of the um uh mystical cores of many religions from you know, from early Christian from the desert fathers. From Kabbalah, from yes. Eastern, Eastern Orthodox, from Sufism. I mean, a lot of it is about purifying and opening the heart and, and cleansing the heart. And so th- this gives us uh, an, a, a, another avenue toward that process.
0: Right, right. I loved it when you talked about um, the not that community this, this community that is exploring, you know, this kind of medicine and you at a Navajo healing ceremony, there was some research being done and I think it was with vision quest. And this is what, this was the quote for four days. After the conclusion of the ceremony, the patient is considered by family and friends as if he or she is a holy person and is given the opportunity to focus evaluate interpret and experience a new self
1: isn't that wonderful to have that kind of community support oh rather than so. doing a ceremony friday night being back in the office monday morning i can tell the best example i have is a terrific failure of mine and this is <laughs> i was actually going to ask you about yeah, your experience yeah. this was,
0: uh, i love the way you you begin yeah. this conversation
1: <laughs> the <This laughs> harvard it's, Harvard psychiatrist, long established practice, I mean very prestigious and so forth. And he wanted an experience. And so I counseled him. And one of the things I said was, don't go back into the office Monday or Tuesday. Give yourself time. Well, he didn't. <laughs> you know, so there he is, Monday morning, you know, eight people lined up eight hours of work in his old, you know, right back into the old straitjacket, basically. Yeah. I mean, his old way of being. Right. And that was that. And, and, you know, I learned from the shaman, you know, that some people are not called, yes. whether through themselves or the medicine, but it just, it doesn't work. Even when you think this is a perfect candidate, it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna take. Yeah. So, well,
0: from your experience, um, does do people usually have one ceremony and they have this amazing therapeutic? I, I know everyone is so individual, so, so different. Yeah. But um, when you did your research, had most of them only no, there, done one. There,
1: I can absolutely say there's no pattern. It's a crapshoot. You never yeah. you're going to get. I remember, you know, I I write about in my book. <laughs> my my worst ceremony where I thought I was going to die. And I just sort of, you know, fell over onto a mattress and, you know, gave up. All right, I'm going to die. Who cares? Well, I had, I had good friends there. And, um, the next morning I, I, their story was they sat there till about two or three in the morning, nothing happened. And they drank at least two to three times what I drank.
0: Uh, I, I experienced that too.
1: And so I asked the and the next day, what? <laughs> yeah. And he just said, well, they weren't called. And that covers a lot of questions. They weren't called. And it, it was true.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I,
1: I, I we, couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We had two people in our group that, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, really interesting
1: but I I just want to contrast it with you said somebody said to you that um and and I referenced this earlier that the 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 participant doesn't even always have to drink or even drink very much right it's it's not a contest sometimes you see westerners thinking the more the better and that is not the case so it's not a contest and and I've seen people in ceremony who drink a teeny tiny little bit And it opens up worlds of of wonder and different ways of being. So it's it's not about, you know, let's go forward and drink three cups.
0: (laughs) No, it's not.
1: (laughs) Let's see how much we can vomit. Um, Yes, yes. Purge. So (laughs) it's about more subtle ways of relating to the medicine which is different than how westerners often um think more is better Mm
0: -hmm. well the interesting thing and i know you talk about this also in your book is that people if they do come in with you know their ego and you know their large ego with them or whatever it may be my gosh does grandmother ayahuasca throw you on your, you know, you become so are. vulnerable and so hard. broken open. Yeah. It's, it's as therapeutic as it is. It's not a walk in the park for sure.
1: No.
0: <laughs> yeah. But isn't that the beauty of it? Who have I become? And you really have to, you know, become, I feel very, Vulnerable. I remember the first two days I was there. I just cried the whole time, and I'm like, "What is happening to me?"
1: <laughs> I know. We've all oh my this. god! Community I'm theater. never going to do this again. Well That's my mom every time. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've uh, there. There was one weekend. I cried Friday night the whole night. Saturday night, I drank again, and I cried the whole night. I mean.
0: Yes. Yes. Wow. So, um, can you tell us a little bit, unless it's confidential, um, about your work with interviewing the women shamans that are, that are underground that are doing the work and what have you found?
1: It's a new book, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but I I am interviewing the elders who have been working underground for a minimum of 20 years. Most of them are longer. These are I now call, I now realize they're shaman. For some reason, when I started this, I thought they were the original underground therapists, but they are not. They are not therapists. They are shaman. So I dove, I, I guess this is a pattern like my trip to Costa Rica, not knowing what I was getting into. I thought I was getting into something different and it turns out, no, these women are not therapists. They might be therapeutic. Certainly the, you know, the, the guided journeys are therapeutic, but they are shaman. Yes. Many of them have done apprenticeships and been trained, and there's quite a range in different stories. But um, their conceptual framework is that the medicine does the work,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's not about. follow up and it's it's not at all the kinds of things that I look for I mean I was in private practice for at least 35 years so it's not at all like any of that
0: right well I love when you say I think this is so important when you and Joe were were having a session together and that you can't Take a person who's had a mystical experience like this, or an ayahuasca experience, and then try to psychoanalyze it, because it's not really fair to try to you can you can kind of you know mess things up if you will. I think you said those exact words. Um, can you speak <laughs> well, <I'll>, on
1: that? <laughs> yeah, I can tell you about my progression. Is I I think in in the listening to ayahuasca book I said something like you know, well, I'm, I'm always a proponent of, of therapy because I spent Absolutely. my life, you know, as a therapist. Um, but I say, you know, make sure you choose someone who knows this territory one way or another. And then, you know, I had a chapter that I, I wrote this past year for a book on psychedelic psychotherapy and it's a chapter on ayahuasca and psychotherapy. And I just flat out came out and said, only go to a therapist who has ayahuasca experience? Who has their exactly? Own. Because when that's true, and I can feel it now as I'm just talking with us, where we each have and I our our own relationship to this medicine, that when we start talking about it in this way, there's a third presence. Mm. Something comes alive that's bigger than each of us individually, and that's what happens in in therapy with a therapist who who has their own relationship with this plant spirit. And right. so that's, that's really what I recommend. How, how do you find someone like that? How many, are there enough of those therapists around? You know, the, the, those are the problems. But right. that's the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's very, it's, you know, here, so there are things that are inexplicable begin to happen. So I have a a beloved dear friend who's a Jungian analyst, and he's been working with a a shaman in Peru for I think three to four years, something like that. And so I've seen the stories and he said, well, now I'm sitting in my office and someone comes in and I can see like the dark cloud around them. I'm beginning, he's, and he's straight in his office. It's just his sensory, Capacity has expanded as a result of the medicine. And so he's beginning to see energy configurations around someone, sort of like a psychic might report. Yes, and yes. so it begins to change his way of practicing, of meeting that person, of understanding what needs to happen in that session. And so it does change the therapist.
0: Right, right. Are you just... When you look back, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, are you just, would you be amazed listening to yourself saying all these things? Oh
1: you, you have to realize my roots came out of Esalen in the late 60s. Yeah, okay, okay, right? yeah, so, I know
0: Esalen well, yes. Yeah,
1: so I was not well-suited for graduate school because I had already been, grant. I mean, I lived there for two two years or so, so I yeah. worked with some of the top people, I was already I was 21, so I had this really strong foundation in all these unusual ways of working with people. So wow. My strategy for getting through graduate school was to do a research track. And mm-hmm. so that's how I had the research. Um, background and expertise to do a research study
0: wow it's almost like grandmother ayahuasca was just preparing you to meet her in a way well, you, you know? know i mean look actually i'm getting shivers so i know that's true
1: <laughs> um i know look, look at your path okay. i Looking mean back, i would say the same thing yeah and when i started that original research study grandmother ayahuasca said to me involve lee and i said you know like a spoiled teenager i said well i've already talked to him you know sort of like oh my God, <laughs> right, there right. that not yes. told me what to do and she said no no involve him so i call up this nationally known researcher he was my research mentor's mentor so she died young so i go to the next generation right and he's you know he held many national positions of <laughs> high caliber and he's won national awards from the american psychological association and <laughs> i called him up and i said grandmother this is ayahuasca. rachel grandmother ayahuasca told me to involve you <laughs> in the research and there's this i pod, love it and he says okay
0: <laughs> really and he wow. was 85
1: when that happened he's now you know much older and uh, that is we a great, had a time. We had a great, that
0: is a great story.
1: <laughs> well, it says that, a lot that, about who he is. I mean, he's
0: very, open. absolutely. Yeah, very, absolutely. Well, you know, we need to wrap it up, but I did want you to speak um, briefly on some of the churches in the United States now that, that have ayahuasca ceremonies. And also, um, I know in Brazil, there are some, churches that combine the ceremony with mediumship, which is, I find it not only fascinating, I just find it really cool. Um, so can you just speak on that a little bit?
1: Um, well, it's the Santa dime church that also yes. has some, some, uh, some of their centers do involve mediumship, but you know, what they call it, it it's, they call ayahuasca "dime," which is, the, is sort of the great give me it's their it's their sacrament so it's not right. a medicine it's a sacrament and um
0: and that's the how they're able to do it right in well, the united states church. right now it's a, it's a religious right.
1: catholic church and um, um Bandu, which which has the spiritism part of it yes and so um and brazil is is a nation of spiritists i mean and yes. so um it's for for that culture, it's second nature. There's no big deal about it. Coming into this culture, it's it's a, a leap for many people. and And not every Santa Dime Church includes includes mediumship, and some do, and not everybody's involved in it. And so it's can be part of it and not always right. Uh, well, I think it's a leap
0: until it happens to you.
1: Oh right. Sound like you're reporting a personal experience.
0: (laughs) Well, I am. I've had unfortunately. (laughs) You know, quite a not unfortunately, but but what I mean is that that I think a person doesn't believe in mediumship unless they have a profound experience right. or a loved one has a profound experience right. then all of a sudden your whole right. world changes right. yeah same with same. same with the ayahuasca yeah. yeah well we need to we need to like i said wrap this up but would you um like to just give any more amazing words of wisdom well, to the listeners well
1: i, I always want to include warnings because this sounds yes. oh this is wonderful and And the truth is there are serious contraindications. Right. And I always want people to be safe. And so that's part of why I say, you know, make sure you someone interviews you about health history. And it's really uh, not recommended if there's any history of psychotic break, schizophrenia, or excuse me, or even bipolar um, manic depression. So there's no point taking big risks. And and that doesn't mean you have to be excluded. You can come into a ceremony and take maybe a drop, or sometimes the shaman will put a drop of the medicine on your forehead. And you can sit there oh. and have a wonderful healing experience.
0: Interesting. That's great to know.
1: You do not have to drink it. And so there is a safe way that you can do it. And frankly, there's no point taking risks with your mental health. Right. And then the other thing is be very careful where you go, because I've seen even very experienced people go to someone and where it was the, the ceremony was not handled well. So you do want to be very careful where you, where you put your life experience.
0: Yes. So so
1: I do, I like to include those kinds of warnings. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that. And, and Dr. Tufur also, um, talked about that too. So it's, it's hugely, hugely important. Well, thank you so, so much for, for the interview today. I'm just honored. And, um, I'm excited to have you come back and talk about your co-authoring the book, Children Learn What They Live, which goes hand in hand, I think, with this interview that we just had. So you have a great day. Um, Now, if people want to find you...
1: The website is the title of the book, listeningtoayahuasca.com. And they, they can find me there and they can contact me through that website.
0: Great, great. And this, of course, will all be... I'll be in the show notes. So, thank you, Rachel, so much, and you have you have a great day.
1: Thank you, you too.
0: Okay, goodbye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at InterviewsWithInnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at InterviewsWithInnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked, and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.